Coming up, something that's probably been done before, but we'll do it better, a film and food review of The Trip. everyone to the film and food podcast i'm your host chris roberts and thank you again for joining us for episode seven i'm so so excited to share this episode with you this week the first in a new series that we are beginning this series is going to follow all four of the trip movies which are the trip the trip to italy the trip to spain and the trip to Greece. And we are so excited to go on this food and film journey with you all. So why don't you follow along with us as this week we look at the first movie, The Trip. But before we dive into this week's episode, we want to welcome you to the Film and Food Podcast. If this is your first time listening, we want to say thank you for giving us a go. We celebrate all things culinary and cinematic in film, and we give you film and food reviews, lots of top 10 lists, lots of other content, as well as film-inspired recipes for you to try at home. So if you love film and you love food, or you love both, like me, well then this is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, make sure you go and check out our other episodes. We've released a bunch of stuff already, and it's all really great. So make sure you go and check out our other episodes Give us a review on iTunes, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, do whatever you need to do to make sure that you're listening to us on the regular. We're so thankful for all of the fans and listeners that we've had already, and we're getting our name out there as a new podcast, so thank you all for joining with us, and we can't wait to dive into this week's episode. This week's episode is what we call a film and food review, and let me quickly explain what that means. We review a film for both its culinary and cinematic quality, and we do this in three different segments. First, we look at the menu, giving an intro and some initial thoughts and facts about the movie. Then, it's time to dine. This is where we dive into the meat of the film, as it were, diving into our highlights, our favourite film moments, our favourite food moments, the themes, and everything we want to talk about in regards to the movie we're reviewing, before finally we give our compliments to the chef, which is where we give our concluding thoughts and ratings. But wait, there's more! Every film and food review, we give you a recipe inspired by that film to try at home. And each recipe has been tested and tried by me, so that you know you're getting a tasty experience that you can recreate in your own kitchen. Every film and food review, I have a special guest, and I'm really excited to have my lovely wife, Bethany, back on the podcast. Alright, well... Hey Beth. Hey babe. We are six episodes into the podcast so far. Uh, over 400 people have listened to us and we're in 13 different countries. So cool. And we're doing our first series. 
yes, you've taken a big punt on this series. It kept popping up on lists of best movies with film and food and film and food. And you've just gone all in and ordered all four Blu-rays. Yes, two of them didn't come in Blu-rays, but yes. It is kind of the tradition that I'm having so far, which is to buy the physical media of every movie I've watched on the podcast. Maybe that might have to stop continuing at some point, but... Or we need to build a museum. It just depends how how long the podcast goes for. That's true. But, yeah, we... I mean, Beth just said it. Neither of... You know, we both haven't seen any of these movies. Um, we heard they're good, and there's four of them, and they go around Europe, and they go on a trip, and they eat food. That's all we know. That's all we know. So, you know, we encourage you to jump on the journey with us. But I was drawn to this because the trip to Greece, the final movie in the trilogy, just came out on DVD and just came out on Stan. So see if you can find all four movies and join us on the journey. Any other things you want to say or should we get into it? I'm ready. So this is our film and food review of The Trip. Let's look at the menu. Released in 2010, The Trip is directed by acclaimed British director Michael Winterbottom and stars Steve Coogan, Rob Brydon, Rebecca Johnson, Claire Keelan and Margot Stilley, among a number of others. The plot is as follows. Steve Coogan has been asked by The Observer to tour the country's finest restaurants, but after his girlfriend backs out on him, he must take his best friend and source of eternal aggravation, Rob Brydon. So yes, this film is unique in a number of ways. First of all, this is edited together from a BBC television series of the same name. The film shows the six different locations over the course of a week where the two stop for lunch. However, in the TV series, these six stops were in fact six full-length 30-minute episodes. So what we have in this film is a two-hour edited version of the TV series. The second way this film is unique is its character and style. This is almost a documentary as Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon play fictionalized versions of themselves with an undercurrent of real-life personality and banter running through the film. In an interview with The Guardian, Coogan said that he and Brydon exaggerated the aspects of ourselves that helped the comedy. I like playing with the fact that it might be me, to give it more of an edge. So, some of the conversations with Rob are funny, but some of them are very uncomfortable. They're sort of genuine arguments. It's sort of an exaggeration of real life. End quote. So what we have is what we get. A real road trip film that follows these two characters as they banter around Northern England eating delicious food. Is that the recipe for a great movie? Well, we have taken a look at the menu and set the scene, and now we're about to go into our in-depth review but I have to let you know there will be spoilers ahead. So if you haven't seen the trip, we'll be spoiling all aspects of the film. Why not have a go and follow us along in this new series? Go and watch the trip and come back to this podcast. However, if you're good to go and happy to be spoiled, we're going to dive into this review. It's time to dine. Well, welcome to the review. As I said before, this is the first of four movies that come in the trip series. And we got into these because... We're excited that these movies were about eating lots of delicious food in delicious locations. And so, what else is this film and food podcast about but those things? As always on the film and food podcast, we're going to start with our highlights. It doesn't mean that we don't uh, criticize the movie or give flaws or anything like that. But we always start with the positive. We always start with the highlights. Let's talk highlights. This is a 
very interesting and unique film. It is virtually plotless. And so the creative flourishes they put into the movie are some of the highlights for me. So the very first highlight that I'm going to mention is the dream sequences. There's two dream sequences in the movie uh, from Steve Coogan's perspective. Steve Coogan is asleep. He has these dream sequences and they reveal some of the subconscious, some of the character development and struggles that he is going through that he may not verbalize, but he's definitely feeling and thinking and wrestling with. And they are just very, very funny. The first dream sequence has a cameo from Ben Stiller. And Ben Stiller is talking to him about how all of these very, very accomplished directors are on the phone wanting Steve Coogan in their next movies, like Paul Thomas Anderson, Wes Anderson, Todd Haynes, and just every single A-list director that you could think of It's very funny because we don't expect Ben Stiller, his burst of almost American comedy and his bravado coming into the movie at this point. And so it kind of catches us off guard before we realize that it is a dream sequence. And we laugh along as this is Steve Coogan's want. He wants to be taken more seriously as an actor instead of being this comedy actor, but he wants to be taken as a serious dramatic actor. And so he wants these auteurs, these great directors to ring the phone and so this first dream sequence is a very funny and very real example of his desires um, that aren't really being accomplished in real life but are being accomplished in his dreams a great cameo from Ben Stiller definitely a highlight the second dream sequence is also funny as we see Steve Coogan going to get the newspaper and the store clerk showing him what the headline of the newspaper is, you know, going, oh, I recognize you, are you Steve Coogan? Is it true everything they say about you in real life? You know, and he goes, Steve Coogan says, well, what do you mean? And the guy says, well, check it out for yourself, shows him this newspaper. It says Steve Coogan is a word that I can't mention on this podcast, but the newspaper calls him a name. And it's just very funny because again, another plot point of this movie is that Steve Coogan is aware of his public image. In fact, it's very meta as he's making a movie of a fictionalized version of himself that puts him in a bad light. And so it's very much a little in-joke about his public uh, personality, about how people think he is. Maybe he's hard to deal with or very dour or very um, just a bad person. And so this is a very, very, very fun dream sequence. Both of them add a whole lot to the movie. They're almost like little pockets of flavor little pockets of spice that come in and yeah break up the sort of rhythm of them going from place to place in their car and looking at different restaurants and eating and bantering and so it's quite nice quite good character moments so the dream sequences are definitely one of my highlights um one of my other highlights is just the scenery i think the cinematography here is quite beautiful how they capture a lot of the english countryside In Northern England, uh, we see lots of funny scenes where Steve Coogan's trying to find a reception next to a lake in this very misty countryside. That is a bit of a running joke, him trying to find reception in the movie. We get lots of beautiful countryside, and in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic that we're all in, it is just wonderful that we can't go overseas at the moment, but if we can all just enjoy this movie from the comfort of our home, grilled food, and good scenery it almost feels like you're going on a trip with them you get all of the aspects of traveling wrapped up in it 
And so, yeah, the scenery's really nice. One of my highlights. Yeah, now that we've talked about a few highlights, we're going to dive more into the meat and bones of the review, how we feel, what we think about it. And so we're going to move over to our favorite film moments, and I'm going to share with you the conversation Beth and I had right after watching the movie, giving our initial thought, and hear what we felt about the movie. Okay, so we have embarked on the first part of the trip first part initial thoughts um one of the most bizarre movies i have ever seen it is almost plotless it's like a pseudo documentary where certainly stephen comes out very unflattering and um i don't understand the motivation yeah. You're betraying yourself that way. I think I will have to do some research. I do but I just did a tiny bit of looking up and I think Steve Coogan has said that he prefers to play like an unflattering version of himself. Like he maybe yeah. may find it easier as an actor. And um maybe then people he's just getting ahead of the curveball when people critique him. I think I won't so. repeat the words <clears> his <throat> uh, father uses to describe him on the cover of the newspaper. No, but, but that, maybe he just, in his just dream. Like, in this dream he's just like well i got there before you i already know that i'm an unpleasant fellow um also a bit ego driven right like oh 100 percent like everyone will want to watch me being a grump driving around eating food it'll be great yeah and i mean there's that very (laughs) poignant conversation at the end where rob brighton's saying Look, would you, you know, ha- have your ch- child have an illness that they get through, but it causes yeah. them some discomfort for a BAFTA? And he's like, no. Yeah. For an Oscar. And he was like, what kind of illness? Like, yeah. you know, I mean. Yeah. Strange. Very strange. I didn't, I didn't a, not enjoy it. I probably wouldn't reach for it like as a yeah comforting. No, I agree. I agree. You know, not one I could watch again I do again, feel like the tone I, I wasn't is, offended by it. It was fine. The um, tone was quite. Uh, I, I guess feel a mellow. Bit, a bit like um, what's my friend's name? The guy we actually like a bit better. Impressions. Rob Brydon. Rob Brydon. Um, at the end, he's like, "Well, he's like how he always was." Like, I think that's what you feel like after watching this movie. You mm. know, hanging out with friends that you don't really like. That yeah, much. but you don't hate you know, them. But like, you know that, like, you're their only friend. So, like, you're you kind have of to watch the movie. You're like throwing them apart. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. I'm Steve Coogan's you're only like, friend. He's Rob Brydon's satisfied. He has his wife and his kid, and like he just goes back to his yeah. normal life, and and he's just you know Steve Coogan goes back to his four bottles of water in his apartment, and and. You know, yeah, and he's womanizing. Yeah, very unfortunate. Um, yeah, fascinating, bizarre. I'm ready for you to cook me some scallops and don't regret watching. Yeah, I think. Look, it's weird. I don't really recommend it, but I don't not recommend it either. Look, if you're I'm just up for a chill movie. Look, I'm I'm hoping that like the this is sort of like almost setting the scene for the installments to come. Yeah. In that, like, you have to get the dynamic. It is definitely, like, Brit- like, I feel like it is a British movie. Like, when I've watched The British Office, mm. like, you kind of have to wade through a couple of episodes to kind of 
yeah. kind of vibe with the the way they're going. And yeah. I de- I feel the same. I'm like, I definitely didn't hate it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I would rave about it. Uh, it. Because it was so plotless, it's almost like watching something like Getaway where they do go to hotels and eat food. But normally on Getaway, they're like, here, we're at this amazing place. And the chef has done this and that. And so it was that sort of content but with none of the enthusiasm yeah I understand that um okay it was interesting well it's not bad did you, do you, do you have I, I just don't understand how did they get money to make this movie I also have a feeling that this I, I will check but this might have been a TV show uh, it makes a lot of sense that as a was TV show. then edited into this movie I and so it. I think then Maybe they've gone on to make more movies. Like, I feel like it works for TV. And so, yeah. And so maybe the next installments, if you're willing to go on to the next installment. Oh, yeah, I will. I'm interested. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated. It's so bizarre that I want to watch more. Okay. That's a, a really glowing recommendation. Um, okay. Now, <laughs> do you, so we always talk about highlights. Yeah. Hard. It is a very plotless movie. Like, it's not like you've got, like, the... Oh, I want to go know. on holidays. Um, you know, we all do. COVID, sorry. Um, but, yeah, I like the scenes. I think it's Yorkshire. I don't really know. We'll have to look it up. But it does remind me of scenes from, you know, James Harriet, the the vet. And I always wanted to go there. Yeah, scenery is beautiful. That was really nice. And, yeah. It did make England look, you know, like... Very we, appealing. Yeah, like, you know, with the moors and the mist and the lakes. And I did like the dream sequences, the two dream sequences. They were funny. Yeah, that was good. One added with, to it. One with Ben Stiller, name dropping all the directors that Steve Coogan wants to work him? with. That was funny. Um, and then the other one was, yeah, that was both probably two of the funniest moments because the other one was when yeah, it's the newspaper. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what it funny. made you realize it's not a documentary. Yeah, I, I, and I, I mean, it's hard. It is hard to pinpoint like scenes because there's not any really scenes. Like it's kind of just you almost. It's almost like you are watching like someone's GoPro footage from their like yeah holiday. Yeah, yeah. You do get the holiday vibe. Like it's not. You do feel like you're I going like on a trip. I've been on a really mellow trip with them quite rainy a little bit grumpy but you know it was relaxing yeah yeah okay so that is our initial impressions of the trip we were expecting a road trip we were expecting food but maybe we weren't expecting the movie that we got and of course expectations plays a huge role in how you analyze and feel about a movie as we'll get to later on quite interesting reactions to watching this movie and giving our ratings at 10.30 at night may not be the best and most reflective ratings of the movie. However, we probably will continue to grow and like this movie more and more as we watch it and watch the others in the series as the tone and the pace and just the style of the movie takes a while to get used to. Not that it's a bad thing, but it's just something new that we weren't really accustomed to. It gives us lots to talk about. Um, The film is, of course, edited down from the TV program 
and there is a sense of monotony to it. It has this really purposeful, slow pace. It's almost like you are taking the trip with them from the mundane bits of picking up the keys and realizing that, you know, they've only booked one room for the two of them and uh, from ordering on the menu and hearing the waiter talk about each different part of the dish, it doesn't cut out what a lot of Hollywood movies or what a lot of other movies would cut out. Instead, it allows us to soak and experience the little trivialities, the little you know, lapses in conversation, the little moments of silence, the moments of irritation that the characters share. And we feel like we're definitely in the movie. However, it means we go on a bit of an emotional journey. Sometimes as the movie drags, we may be feeling a little bit dull, just like the characters. Where at other times when, you know, during the dream sequence or during the most, uh, during the moments of impersonations and banter between the two, we're right along with them, laughing and enjoying the movie. And talking about comedy, we obviously have two British comedy legends here. Um, we have Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon. And so Beth and I reflected right at the beginning of the movie when we noticed the difference in humor and we noticed the difference in pace, the difference between British comedy and American comedy. So listen to us talk about that. Another thing I noticed, it seems to be a difference between American and British comedy. So like in American comedies, they're often like super slapstick, a bit over the top. The acting is a lot outrageous, a lot of emotions, whereas it's quite understated in the British, don't you think? Yeah. Um, who's the main guy? Not Steve Rob. Coogan. Steve Coogan. He is so dry that he doesn't almost want to laugh. Like if you laugh, he's going to look down his nose at you and go... Oh, oh! Did you think that was funny? Well, it wasn't really a joke. You're clearly very silly. Yeah, they have good, good banter, and the two characters work off each other so well. And uh, it's very witty and understated, and uh, quite dry. And yeah, I'm I'm liking it. It's pretty refreshing. I'm keen to see where it goes. So this movie has moments of humour and has moments of levity, but it is in that traditional British style. It is understated. In fact, Steve Coogan calls himself the king of understatement at one point. He's very fond of that title because it reflects his style of humor. He wants to be uh, quite witty and quite subtle with the way he works his humor, but almost as if he doesn't want to get a laugh. But, you know, the audience is often one or two seconds behind. Then we have Rob Brydon, who very much does his impersonations. And so, we see conversation after conversation where Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan are going back and forth on their Michael Caine impersonation or their Al Pacino impersonation or their, you know, improvising on a different character and their conversations going on and on and on. And these moments are quite hilarious, laugh out loud moments, but there's other little subtle moments, the little jabs that they dig at each other, the little remarks they make about each other's career that keep the movie going and kind of invest you in in a different way where you're not necessarily laughing but you are sort of enjoying the dry comedy that this movie brings and Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon they definitely have chemistry in real life and it shows on the screen they're back and forth of mutual respect and admiration but also irritation but also jealousy but also being sick of each other and the competitiveness between the impersonations 
It is all great stuff and it kind of crackles and pops when it's really going on the screen. However, I think I found it tough on those little moments where I felt that it did drag. I think this movie is probably 20 minutes longer than it really needs to be. And I think it could have been edited in a more sharp, more creative way. What we have is, you know, the the six different parts of the trip edited into six days, Monday through to Saturday, with each day having a new location where they're at. And that is a fairly creative way of doing it, but it does feel like you have the monotony of the week coming through and some days is given more attention than others and maybe that is the purpose but I do feel like maybe 15 minutes could have been cut off this and it would have not have lost too much for me but maybe that's me speaking as an Americanized audience I don't know that I do like how that film has challenged my perception and my way of watching movies as an audience member so it's one that I'm going to keep thinking about and really wrestling with and the movie having lots of comedic moments also takes its time to flesh out the dramatic side, um, the characters of Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan. Of course, Steve Coogan was going to go on this trip with his girlfriend, Misha, but she pulls out and he's in America. And so Steve Coogan almost reluctantly asks Rob Brydon to come along for this trip. And the difference between the two characters is striking and creates a great dynamic of character moments between the two. Rob Brydon is a happily married man with a child and we can see from the very beginning that Steve Coogan picks him up that Steve Coogan's not really impressed with the lifestyle that he has chosen of being domesticated, of having a wife and a baby and we also see that Rob Brydon isn't necessarily pleased or really gets why Steve Coogan in his 40s is still going around finding girlfriends and having one night stands and doing the things that he does in the search for love. And so Steve Coogan's relationship with Misha throughout the movie, through phone calls, is a tenuous one. And you see that Steve Coogan, his fictionalized version at least, is very arrogant and very condescending and not a great listener and makes poor choices um, in his relationship with Misha, even on the trip. And so we see that Steve Coogan... He acts as if nothing affects him. However, there's this deep undercurrent of regret. He really wants these great roles. He really wants to make it for himself, get more into the A-list and have these roles that challenge him and inspire him and that he is known for. His public image definitely affects him. But he also has no one to share it with. The ending of the movie is him going back to an empty apartment. There's no life for him apart from the roles he has and there's a striking difference between Steve Coogan going home to an empty hotel to Rob Brydon going back to his house, to his wife, you know, making a meal and to his baby, happy and content. And his wife says, how was the trip? And Rob Brydon says, as you'd expect it to be. He was his usual self. For Rob Brydon, this trip was nothing more than, you know, fulfilling a, a role that Steve Coogan brought him in for Rob Brydon, it was just like, look, I know how Steve Coogan's going to be. I know he has no one else. I'm just going to go along with it for Steve Coogan's sake. And that's a really interesting dynamic because they have lots of conversations about legacy, about their career choices, about who's better. And this dynamic really does bring about some questions and some character moments in the movie. We see Steve Coogan 
who is really uptight and tense and has lots of verbal barrages with Rob Brydon. By the end, he's laughing more. He's being a little bit more spontaneous. He's kind of reflecting and realizing that maybe he can be a little bit less serious about himself and maybe look for enjoyment in life that maybe Rob Brydon is settled and happy with himself. Rob Brydon is a very interesting character. To be honest, by the end, I found that his impersonation stick really just annoyed me. It was funny for three quarters of the movie, but I kind of thought by the end of the movie it was being overdone. And maybe that was part of the point too, because really his wife still loves his impressions, but it seems to be a bit of a metaphor for his career too, that his impressions have only got him so far, and maybe that's the end of the road for him. Maybe he's become comfortable in what he has in his life, and that's his life. He's chosen his family over his career, and of course he's still working and still acting, but he's not chasing after the glory and the fame and the high art auteur work that Steve Coogan is chasing. And so I'm really intrigued by the dynamic between these two characters. Even if I found the film somewhat tedious at times, slow, and even frustrating, that these characters are worth sticking with. And I'm really excited to see how they grow and develop in the next movie. I think there was just enough character work to give you motivation to continue to watch them. However, I do feel like it was a bit of a mishmash of comedy and dramatic moments and conversations that need to be had. So I am intrigued to see where these guys go. Of course, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon are actors themselves. They're playing fictionalized versions of themselves and their performances of themselves, whether they're very realistic or they're not, is great. Rob Brydon is a sensational impressionist. He does incredible personations. And I do think, even though Steve Coogan doesn't think so, I do think Rob Brydon is better at impersonations and especially wins the Michael Caine impersonation. Now, I'm going to talk like Michael Caine, but I'm not Rob Brydon and I'm not very good at it. There you go. I'm sorry. I promise not to do that again. That was my impersonation of Michael Caine. Go watch the movie for a better impersonation from Rob Brydon. They have great performances. Their chemistry is great. And that is a great part of the movie. I, as I said before, I like the cinematography. Um, it has a good soundtrack that carries the movie along. But I was a little bit let down by the editing. And even the dramatic choices of the movie aren't sensational to me. I think it's very competent and very sufficient. But I do feel like the directorial choices and the shot choices... And the edits uh, feel repeated as they go on different parts of the trip. It's almost like a little editing montage of the place they're going and the car trip. And yeah, that's sort of my feelings. I do feel like it kind of felt slightly bland in the directorial capacity. And I don't know really what I'm expecting. It is in a documentary style, but that sort of left me wanting. And this is just my personal preference, but I do feel like, you know, I would have liked a little bit more if there was a... A few more fictional creative twists to go with the story. However, there was no screenwriter credited in this movie. It's actually uh, improvised conversations and things that are recorded as these men went on a trip. And so I guess that is just the purpose of the movie. But those are just my personal thoughts. One scene that I do feel like sums up a lot of the movie's themes is the scene where Rob Brydon is recognised at the museum, but Steve Coogan isn't. 
we see that Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon are late to go into this museum and they're not allowed in by the uh, they're not allowed in by the museum worker, the staff of the museum. She recognizes Rob Brydon and we see on Steve Coogan's face this look of jealousy and regret and bewilderment. This woman would know Rob Brydon but wouldn't know who Steve Coogan was. And so we see this tension happen as Rob Brydon willingly uh, you know, does his big man in a little box. I'm not sure what it's really called, but his wonderful impression where he makes his voice sound very little, um, like he's inside a box, and you know, signs her autograph and chats to this lady, and Steve Coogan is kind of left in the background. And we realize that this story is a lot about self-satisfaction or self-empowerment or what it really means to be satisfied and content with one's life. In this Hollywood world, what does that mean? For Steve Coogan, he doesn't seem to have found it yet. He's searching in all these different places with all of these different relationships. However, he hasn't found it yet. He has a son that seems to be really struggling that he has a conversation with, but he seems to be a bit of an absentee father. Whereas Rob Brydon, on the other hand, is a committed father and husband. He is satisfied with his career choices and happy with where his career is going. It may not lead to him winning an Oscar or a BAFTA, but it definitely has led him to contentment. And it's a good little microcosm of what it means to be great or successful. Do you need to make sacrifices like your family or your happiness to become successful in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of Hollywood? And that is a real uh, question that may not be explicitly stated, but it is running throughout the currents of the movie. Okay, so we've talked about the film moments. Now it's time to move over to our favorite food moments. There is obviously a lot of food in this movie. It is a trip about Steve Coogan going and doing a newspaper assignment to review all of these restaurants in Northern England. They're obviously eating in a lot of different restaurants. And with this much abundance of food, I was wondering whether we'd be able to choose a dish that would stand out to make for our film-inspired recipe. However, as we went along, we realized that almost every restaurant they went to, they ate and were served scallops. And so listen to this compilation as Beth and I was working out what our recipe would be and all of the times that scallops showed up in this movie. Already, we've seen two scallop dishes. Yeah, we had some amazing, beautiful scallops on our honeymoon. Mm. That's when I think of scallops. They were so nice. Um, the other time I think of scallops is like getting them as canapes at work events when you're kind of, you know, 200 people mingling in a room. Like, just really seedy. You definitely want um, a scallop hot, fresh, and like on to yourself on your own plate. That's right. So that had been my previous association with scallops as like, oh, am I going to risk this? But then, um, yeah, we had amazing, beautiful, fresh scallops quite a few times and, yeah, totally changed my mind. Mm. They were sweet almost, super fresh. Definitely maybe the dish to cook, potentially. Oh, true, true. Maybe we need to go on a little scallop sourcing mission. Yeah. And who, um, okay, we borrowed a great cookbook from the library, Dinner, A Love Story. We did. And she specifically mentions cooking scallops as like a recipe to totally master oh maybe it is one um, worth looking at yeah we'll see if it pops ha- up we have a source maybe that's one of the running jokes that keeps showing up in every restaurant in england anyway we'll see what? 
Well, because it's in, been in two restaurants already. Like, it might be a bit of a, oh. a running thing oh. in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, we'll see. If it keeps going, it's it. Yeah. That's three scallops already. True. You just, just ordered scallops True. again. Okay, scallops are the number one contender. All right. We will continue watching. Mark this down for the scallop compilation. More Fourth time seeing scallops. They're sizzling. They're sizzling. I feel like it's it. Unless the movie whips out something it, else. It fits the brief of like something that's from the movie, but also Bit different. something different that we yeah. wouldn't cook normally. Great. Lock it in, Great. Eddie. Done. Yes, there were a lot of yummy, delicious looking scallops in this movie. Obviously, that was a huge part of the Northern England restaurant scene at the time that this was filmed. And so... We have chosen that as our film-inspired recipe for this week, which we'll talk about a little more later. However, that was a highlight for me, seeing all of those delicious scallops that make your mouth water and that make you want and go and make them yourself. The good news is you can go and make them yourself with our recipe, which we'll talk about later. So, there was lots of food. However, I did find myself slightly disappointed with the amount of food in this movie. Yes, we see lots of dishes, we see little moments in the kitchen. However, for a movie about a trip to review food, the food almost takes a backseat to the conversations and banter between the two men. Often, they don't even mention the food that they're eating. It is just something that drives the plot along and has them in perfect spots to have conversations, which of course, uh, it is a great time to have a conversation over dinner or over lunch. But there was a lot of great food, and so I'll pass it to Beth to share her favourite food moment. You've got me keen for the scallops. I'm ready. There was also some nice-looking desserts, like a strawberry-ish kind of layered thing, like a square of something, maybe a bit of a shortbready base, cheesecake kind of thing, and then a scoop of something on top. They didn't describe it, but, um, mm. yeah, it looked nice. Mm. I don't want to eat a haggis. No, I don't want to eat a haggis. I think... Um, obviously scallops were great um, yeah I mean they go to a lot of restaurants Like, it's funny for a movie about eating at restaurants like they don't really I didn't t- experience the food that deeply like compared to something like Julia and Julia like they didn't I guess because they're not enjoying it that much yeah I guess the movie does well in that like Steve Coogan's a he's pretty shallow like he doesn't want to talk about his life he doesn't want to talk about his problems like he's very egotistical like very grumpy like he's not really willing to express much emotion like and so he really doesn't have that much to say on the food like I feel like Rob Brydon a couple of times is trying to spark him into a conversation but like it's just very much like "Mm, this is tasty So there was yummy desserts, yummy dishes, lots of restaurants and lots of food. However, even if there was a lot of quantity of food, sometimes it felt like the food didn't really have much to do with the plot. Uh, It wasn't central. It didn't really link into any of the themes of the movie. And so food just felt like an accessory to the movie rather than woven into the plot and identity of the movie as some of our other film and food movies have. And that is why I don't necessarily have too much to talk about. There were some interesting conversations to be had. Uh, One interesting scene was when they go to this very fancy restaurant and are given like a 20 course tasting menu with all sorts of extravagant, intricate 
ingredients that were very interesting and reminded us of a story of when we had a tasting menu recently. So listen to us chat about tasting menu, the pros and the cons, and our experience up in the Blue Mountain. Um, tasting menu. So good. Um, agree with the comments. A, a bad tasting menu can be scary because there's so many courses and you didn't choose any of them. But a really good one is just a delight. It's um, no fuss about ordering. It's, you know, perfectly balanced and um, you just put yourself in someone else's hands. We had a really great one recently, didn't we? Yeah, we went up for a little Blue Mountains weekend away and we went to Pins on Lurline in... Katoomba, Katoomba and yep. uh, somewhat scrambled potentially my information, but I do believe there was a restaurant Como in Blackheath, which perhaps is closed and the team from there is running Pins on the Line uh, at the time we were there. Um, and so it was fantastic. Um, COVID safe. Yeah, Italian-Australian cuisine, very local, very fresh, um, very creative, absolutely delicious, um, really cozy atmosphere like elegant though as well it was in mm. a heritage home but um yeah not not cutesy just really nicely done warm candles flowers um yeah lovely what was the menu like um you could either choose uh well two two choices either just a regular set menu or vegetarian set menu and then we chose vegetarian and they seamlessly just adapted it to also be gluten-free um, which was fantastic and just so nice uh, not to just be able to choose the one gluten-free dish, but to get six amazing gluten-free courses. Yeah, the, it was really tasty. The chef gave us a seventh mint mint chocolate ball which treat I at the end. strongly challenged you to eat. Even though I was so, so full. Um, they were so good. Um, everything about it loved it highly recommend it highly recommend um but yeah you are really trusting the restaurant when you go there and you're putting you the good thing is the pro is you don't have to choose so you take the you know you're basically taking what they're giving you but in this instance it worked out really well and yeah probably the future of dining out it's a bit more of an occasion now it's covid it's how restaurants seem to be doing it. It's, it's good for the restaurant. You agree up front. That's the spend. They can control their suppliers, how much they buy, what they're going to serve. And for you, it's less of a casual walk-in thing. We're all kind of just planning ahead a bit more now. And it becomes a really special experience. I think we're doing it less often. So you can go a bit more fancy when you do go. That's true. That's so true. Thank you, Pins on Low Line. Thank Shout you. Out amazing so yes definitely recommend going and doing a tasting menu especially in this covid times where restaurants have limited seating capacity and limited capacity to order the amount of food that they used to order when they could be in full capacity it's a great way to support your local restaurants it's a great way to support the food industry and it's a fun time for you as a diner you don't have to make any choices and you get to eat a great variety of lots of yummy food so this movie features lots of lunches and lots of dinners and lots of great conversations, but it is a reminder to savor the food that's in front of you. Whether you're eating a light dinner, a light lunch, or something that's a little trivial, enjoy the food. Talk about the food and make it a part of your life. Don't let it just be an accessory in a movie. 
enjoy your food. That is my little tip as your film and food podcast host. I felt like Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon were on a trip to talk and write about food, yet we didn't even really see him writing about food or talking about the food too much or anything like that. And maybe it is part of the plot in that Steve Coogan seems a little shallow and his observations and feelings about food don't really move much beyond anything deep. So we've talked about our highlights, we've talked about our favourite food moments, we've talked about our favourite film moments. Now let's talk about our film-inspired recipe of the week, which of course is scallops. We have made a blockbuster stunning dish for you this week to try at home. It is very, very simple. It uses fresh quality ingredients and will give you a rich, vibrant, kapow scallop experience. Restaurant quality for you to try at home. And I can't wait to share this recipe with you and hear how you go making this dish. This dish is inspired by a scallop dish that we had on our honeymoon in Lord Howe Island and uses the beautiful flavors of tomato to enrich the delicious scallop. So if you don't believe me, I made this for lunch for Beth a few days ago and listened to her reaction to eating these scallops. So delicious. I was a big fan. The salsa was really amazing. So zingy and beautiful. And I was really surprised by what was in it. It came together so well. It tasted really complex. Um, And the scallops were just amazing. Totally nailed the amount of cooking time. They were just golden on the outside and lovely when you bit into them. They're that good. This is one of my favorite recipes that I've cooked for the podcast. It was my first time cooking scallops and I can't wait to make these again or even make them as a really good entree for a dinner party that's a little bit fancy one day down the road. And so I really, really recommend you go and try and make this high quality ingredients. Make sure that you're using good quality ingredients and this dish is going to wow anyone. So you can find a link to this week's scallop recipe in the episode's show notes on our Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, on our website. Let us know how you went. Did you enjoy making these scallops? Have you got any other recommendations of ways you can cook them? We'd love to have a conversation. So go out there, get cooking and let us know how you went. You can email us. The address is fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com. Join the conversation. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you about this recipe. Okay, we've pretty comprehensively reviewed and discussed and talked about the trip. And so now it's time to wrap things up in a bow. It's time to give our compliments to the chef. The trip is a humorous, leisurely paced, foodie road trip movie that I'm sure everybody's going to enjoy and have a good time with. We definitely found it a refreshing, if what somewhat interesting pace and style, and we can't wait to see where this series develops and grows over the coming installments. It was a good and surprising, if somewhat disappointing start to this series. And so with that all said, it's time to give our ratings for this movie. And if you haven't listened to our film and food reviews before, we give two ratings for each guest. We give a film rating. So this is where we rate the movie out of 10 for the quality of the film. Editing, cinematography, music, the story, every single part that makes the film great, we give a rating out of 10. And we also give a rating out of 10 for the food in the movie. It's the quantity of the food, how the food is shot, how it contributes to the story and to the themes. We give that a rating out of 10 as well. So we give 
a film rating out of 10 and a food rating out of 10. And with both guests, that gives us a total out of 40. So let's listen to those ratings. I'm just skipping to the ratings part here. Yeah, no, well, I'm about to go to the ratings give that part a anyway. 5 out of 10 as a movie. 5 out of 10. It just left me feeling blah. I didn't hate it. Didn't love it. Okay. It's on the fence. Food rating. Um, honestly, even though there was so much food in it and it was quite good, it didn't didn't leave me with the feeling. So I'll only give that a 6 out of 10. Okay. No, that's, that's a fair rating. Quantity of food was 10. There was a lot of food, but emotion of food was like a 2. Yeah. No, I, I 100% agree with you on that one. I I think as a as a film See as a film I like I kind of think I see the intent and I kind of think they executed it well and like it's all a bit weird as how it all was formed and processed and so I'm like kind of like maybe give it a 6 if that's being generous yeah is that being generous to give it a six? Maybe it is a five. It's just, it's funny because there's not that much I mean, to I appreciate just, it. Like, I mean, I gave, no, I gave Chef a seven. Maybe it is a five. There's no plot, right? Really? No. You can't go, That's oh, wow, the costumes a bad were thing. amazing. No. You can't go, oh, the lighting was fantastic. Well, oh, the shots were so beautiful and creative. Like, they just weren't. It was just good. Like, it was fine. It's just competent. competent. Yeah. yeah. Okay, no, I'm I'm gonna you know, you know I'm not don't want to be a copycat, but I feel like I've adore it from. Yeah, it's true, it's true. It's not gonna be a favorite movie. It wasn't an amazing score. Like everything was fine. Nothing was offensive. It was just, yeah. but that's why I think when you said it was for TV, it made so much sense. I'm like, you just watch that for half an hour. Great, yeah, good TV show. Now I'm gonna watch Antiques Roadshow. Yeah, it's true. All right, I think. Sorry. But I think I'm going with a five. It hurts. Like I, I want this to be a good quadrilogy, and there's they have a chance to redeem it. But yeah, you know, it's four movies. It's just weird. Anyway, so, and and I, you know what? I'm not even going to give the food rating a six. Really? I'm going to give it a five. Even though the quantity was so much. Yeah, I'm like, I just feel like the. No passion, no love. <sighs> Like, you you got a few kitchen scenes, but the it was not often of the cooking per yeah, se, or just the plating up. It's a lot of the plating up and a bit of the cooking, and like they would eat it and they not often talk about it too much. Um, it just felt like it was a plot device, like the thing to get them together and to have them banter off each other and and not really much appreciation of mm. the of the um of the food yeah so you know it kind of left me wanting more wanting more substance in the like you know you didn't really like it did just feel like i don't know you go to a fancy restaurant that has fancy, fancy food, food cool. that like doesn't have Super much day. passion or love behind it that you just go it was fine but like yeah i don't know like it's not as wholesome as i wanted it to be so yeah okay that that's kind that's pretty much it like i i don't really have too much more to say so to reiterate 
Beth gave the trip a 5 out of 10 for the film and a 6 out of 10 for the food. And I gave the film a 5 out of 10. And for the food, I also gave it a 5 out of 10. That gives the trip a total of 21 out of 40. Yes, that is a rough start for this brand new series, but that is not a bad score altogether. Beth and I were going in blind and we may have had different expectations to what the movie has given us. And I'm sure that we're going to enjoy and learn to love this movie more and more as we continue to go through this series and when we rewatch one day in the future. I definitely recommend that you give this one a go just for the fact of being exposed to something different that we don't often watch here in Australia. It's a different style and you might absolutely love it or you may take some warming up to it like Beth and I did. But we love the food, we love the chemistry, we love the actors and the storyline. Can't wait to go on the journey of the next three films and see where this series takes us. The next movie in the series is A Trip to Italy. So we're prepared to see where the story goes and develops, to see beautiful Italian sights and to watch and eat yummy food. So stick with us as we continue in this series. In our opinion, this movie just needed a little more spice. But that's enough from me. I'm going to pass it over to Beth for the final word. Beth, do you have any final final words, final thoughts? I'd like some more spice. Well, that about does it for this week's episode, a film and food review of The Trip. So, our next film and food review will be for The Trip to Italy, continuing our series on the Trip Quadrilogy of Films. So get excited for that episode. If you love the Film and Food podcast, why not have coffee with us? Coffee is a website that allows fans to donate the price of a coffee to their favorite artists. This podcast will always be free and available to everyone who wants to listen. But if you want to support us and help us keep the show on the air and continue to upgrade our equipment, well, any donation would be absolutely wonderful. We thank you so much to those who have already donated. We can't thank you enough. If you enjoyed this podcast, can I ask you a favor? Can you go onto iTunes or your platform of choice and give us a five-star rating and review? We're a brand new podcast and we're trying to reach as many people as possible who need to listen to us. And so these reviews and ratings help us so much get up the ranks on iTunes and get heard by the people who need to hear us. And so thank you to those who've already reviewed us already. It's so, so wonderful to hear your feedback. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, Podchaser, Podcast Addict, Himalaya, Player FM, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Google Play, Deezer, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. Basically, we are on every single platform. And if we aren't, let us know and we will make sure that we're on that platform. Subscribe to us and enjoy listening to the Film and Food Podcast. Make sure you email us. The address is fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com. I'll say that again, fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com. And join us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Film and Food Podcast. Let us know how you went with the recipe. What did you think of the trip? Are you excited for the rest of the series? Give us feedback. Suggest a movie to review. The most important thing is to join the conversation. Until next time, goodbye, and thanks for listening.